Amen. Amen. Praise God. Indeed, he, he's the one who never leaves the one behind. God is faithful and true. He's kind and just in all of his ways. He cares for you. He made you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Oh, what manner of love has God displayed for us through his son. One day, just one day, one day every year, that was the only time that anyone could come into the presence of God. No one could come into the presence of God directly on their own. Only one man could come behind the curtain to the inner sanctuary, to the holy of holies in the temple, and that is the high priest. If anyone went behind the curtain, if anyone went into the very presence of God, they would die. In fact, that happened to two of Aaron's sons. Two of his sons went behind the curtain into the very presence of God and they died. Significant moments. In fact, listen to what the Lord tells Moses in Leviticus 16 verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he would die. You see, inside the inner sanctuary of the temple, it's called the Holy of Holies. That is the place of the very presence of God. Well, behind there is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this is a, a model that my son made this week. It's much smaller than what it actually looks like. But the Ark of the Covenant was a big chest, a box. It was covered in gold. And up on top of it were two angels with wings that were reaching out and touching one another. Well, where their wings were touching, that was called the mercy seat. And it was there that the presence of God would manifest itself. And so on this one day, only one man could go behind the curtain into the very presence of God, and that was the high priest. On that one day, the Day of Atonement, the high priest, he would wash himself with water. He would put on special clothes, and he would begin to make sacrifices. The first sacrifice was a bull. The blood of the bull was then sprinkled by his finger onto the mercy seat behind the curtain. That blood atoned for his sin and the sins of his family. Then he would go and have two goats. One goat would live, one goat would be sacrificed. The one that would be sacrificed, he would take its blood and he would go and dip it and then sprinkle it onto the mercy seat which would atone for the sins of the entire people of Israel. The one goat that would live, he would then take his two hands and place his hands on its head. He would then confess the sins of all of the people of Israel. That goat was then taken out into the wilderness where it was sent out never to be seen again. 
This is the one day in which someone could go behind the curtain. The one day in which someone could go and atone for the sins of God's people. But it had to take place every year. Year after year after year, only one man could go into the one place where the presence of God would manifest itself and he would represent the people. You see, what the people needed was a perfect sacrifice. They needed a once for all sacrifice that would allow all people to come into the presence of God. Enter Jesus. Jesus, our great high priest, he went outside the camp to be the perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. You see, Jesus' death on the cross was the once for all sacrifice that would allow all people to come into the very presence of God. Paul says like this in Ephesians 2, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. As he was gasping for air upon the cross, Jesus cried out with a loud voice to tell us die. It is finished. And as he was breathing his last, he gave up his spirit and died. But then Matthew 27, 51, suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that had separated the people from the holy of holies. The curtain that had separated the people where only the high priest could go behind it one time a year. The curtain that protected the people from the Shekinah glory of God. It was torn in two. It was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. Man does not go to God on our terms, but God came to us and he ripped the curtain. At the moment Jesus died on the cross, the barrier that kept you and I from the very presence of God was ripped. Listen to the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, hold up, wow, do you see that? One priest, one time a year. Now it's brothers and sisters. We now get to go behind the curtain. We have the access that thousands, millions of the people of God never got to do. You and I, we get to do it. This is so rich. Hebrews 10. Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is his flesh. He's saying, listen, the flesh of Christ that was torn, that was broken at the cross, it's symbolic of the the curtain that was ripped. That's Christ. Jesus is the torn curtain that gives you and I access into the very presence of God. And it goes on to say, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts 
sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. You see, the moment you believed the gospel, the moment you trusted in Jesus Christ, your sins are just like the sins that were placed upon the the scapegoat. They were placed upon the goat and sent out, never to be seen or heard from again. That's where your sins are. The moment you trust in Christ, All of your sins are gone. You are washed. You are clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, one drop of Jesus' blood cleanses the worst of sinners. Oh, what good news God has afforded to us in the gospel. Come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Oh, what mercy that God has afforded to you, that you now have access into the very presence of God through Jesus. He is worthy of your worship. So because of Jesus, you now have access into the very presence of God through Jesus. God is no longer behind a curtain. He's no longer hidden where only one man could go for the people one time a year. But no, now Christ has died. The veil has been torn. We now get daily access to draw near and we get to worship. And that is what Jesus is teaching us how to do in Matthew chapter six. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter six. As you're turning there, we're going through a sermon series as a faith family called Take It All. It's an invitation for, as we start 2019, to indeed begin as worshipers We're saying, God, I'm committing this year in which I'm saying, Lord, you have my life. I want to give you my best. You have access to all of my life. I want you, Lord, to take it all. Last week, we talked about the the value, the conviction, the importance of gathering regularly as the body of Christ. Well, this morning, we're going to unpack what it looks like for each of us to individually gather with Jesus and we meet with him the value and the importance of private worship. Well, in Matthew chapter six, it's right in the heart of the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus is preaching in Matthew's chapters, Matthew chapters five through seven, on the Sermon on the Mount. He's gathered his disciples, he's gathered thousands of people up onto a mountain and he begins preaching to them. And in this sermon, he's addressing all kinds of issues like, like uh, adultery and murder and loving your enemies and telling the truth and being salt and light. And then in chapter six, Jesus pivots and he begins to teach on worship. He talks about how we are to give. He talks about how we are to fast. I want you to see this morning in chapter six, verse five, how we are to pray. He says, whenever you pray, verse five, You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. 
Here in chapter six, Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And this morning, I want us to look at what it, what it, what it means, what it looks like to daily draw near in worship. I want you to see first that it necessitates pure motives. Pure motives. Look at verse five. Jesus says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Twelve times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus calls out the Pharisees and he calls them hypocrites. That word hypocrite, it means an actor with a mask. The Pharisees, they were a religious group. and They hated Jesus. Why? Because he saw behind the mask. You see, Jesus looks past the veneer. He looks past the mask that people put up, and he looks right into the heart. Well, these Pharisees, Jesus called them hypocrites because on the outside, they looked really good. They looked clean. They looked religious. But inside, he called them double worthy of hell. They were men who were whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside, there were dead bones. They were spiritually dead, even though on the outside, they looked spiritually alive. Hear me today. Whatever mask you are putting up in front of Jesus, he sees through it. He sees right through any kind of covering that you try to put up. You may be able to fool people around you, but you cannot fool the one who sees behind the mask. This morning, if you're covering up, if you're putting up a front, I want you to know Jesus sees behind it. Take what's in the dark and bring it into the light. Confess your sins to Jesus. Come to him and cry out for forgiveness and mercy, and he will show you mercy. He already knows. He already sees. You can't fake out the one who knows all things. And here Jesus is calling out the hypocrites, saying when you pray, when you worship, you don't do it like them. Your motives are to be pure. So what is he renouncing in verse five? Well, he's not renouncing standing up to pray in worship gatherings or even praying in public because Jesus did both. He's not renouncing those two things. So what's he calling out of these hypocrites? Look at verse five. He says, to be seen by people. You see, when someone is praying and someone is worshiping and their motives are, look at me, Jesus says, they already have their reward. When someone's saying, I wanna draw attention to myself with my prayer life and my worship life, Jesus says, the praise that you're getting is all you're gonna get. You see, seeking the praise of people, it robs God of glory that is due only to him. The Lord declares in Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not give my glory to another. No one. No one can stand in the presence of Jesus and say, look how awesome I am. No one can approach the king of kings and say, look how great I am. You see, our motivation for worship should never be look at me, but rather look at Jesus. If your motivation for placing your Bible and your journal and your pumpkin spice latte on a table so that you might get that perfect filtered picture so that you can put it on Instagram and let people see how great your worship is, Jesus says you've already received your reward. 
You see, our motivation is not to draw attention to ourselves. When we worship, we should have pure motives. And it's not the praise of man, but rather we are seek to bring glory and honor to the one who knows all things. You see, when you have a quiet time and you spend time alone with Jesus, we have an opportunity in which we get to draw near. We get to worship. We get to go behind the curtain through Jesus. And we get to seek and we get to pray and we get to worship. And we get to declare, God, you are greater. There is no one like you. You're the maker of all things. Lord, you sustain the earth by the word of your power and yet you love me. You know my name and you speak to me and I hear your voice and I know your voice because I am your sheep and you are my shepherd. And simultaneously as we are meeting with Jesus and we're giving him glory privately outside of the all-seeing eye of the public, what we find is, is that we get more of him. You taste and see that the Lord is good. You want more of him, and you cry out, God, I want more of you. I want you. There is nothing this world can provide that satisfies me more than Jesus. So daily drawing near in worship, it necessitates pure motives. But also notice in the text, Jesus teaches us the purpose for our daily quiet times. And that's number two. It's for a private encounter. A private encounter. Look at verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is calling you to a private meeting with your heavenly Father. Twice, Jesus uses the word secret here in verse six. Now, this is a common theme that we see throughout the chapter. We see here in verse four, when we, when we give, we don't boast, we don't trumpet how much we give or that we give, but rather verse four, we give in secret. When we fast, we fast verse 18 in secret because we're not seeking the praise of man. This is a private secret encounter with the living God. Now this requires us to be intentional and strategic. Look at verse six. Jesus says, go into your private room. Shut your door. He's calling for an alone time with the Lord. We see this in the life of Daniel. In Daniel chapter six, we see where he gets alone three times every day into his house and he gets alone with the Lord and he prays. We see it throughout the life and ministry of Jesus in which he would take time to get alone and get away from the crowds and spend time praying with his father. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying, taking time alone to be with his Father. You see, some believers neglect this spiritual discipline because I think they're afraid of being alone, being still. Sitting in silence. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That phrase, be still, it means to stop. Quit working. Put your keys down. Put your phone down. And worship. Your 
soul needs this. Being still before your maker. Getting close to the one who loves your soul. And when you do this, verse 6, there is a reward. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And the reward is more of him. Have you ever prayed alone and thought, my prayers are not going past the ceiling? It just, I I felt this way. I'm praying, but the Lord is just not hearing me and he is not interested. Well, verse six is why you and I should not trust our feelings. When we feel like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and going no, for, no further, look at what the text says in verse six. And your father who sees in secret. Do you see that? He sees in secret. He knows there is no place on planet earth in which his all-seeing eye cannot see. There's nothing you are experiencing in which he does not already know. Verse eight, he knows the things you need before you ask him. And yet, he still invites you to pray. He invites you to come behind the curtain, to seek him, to daily draw near to him and worship. But thirdly, daily drawing near and worship necessitates a simple approach. Look at verse seven. It says, when you worship, I'm sorry, excuse me, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, Jesus says, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Jesus is teaching that our prayers, they're not merely just to be recited without thinking. We're not looking for chance. We're not looking for repetition, just hoping that the more we pray, the more God will hear us. Jesus is saying, I'm not after a formula here. Have you ever been around someone who just prays the same thing over and over and over and over? God's saying, I'm not interested in that. We see it in 1 Kings 18, as the prophets of Baal, for half a day, they're just repeating over and over the same things, just trying to get their false god to pay attention to them. We see in Acts chapter 19, when the people of Ephesus, for two hours, they just kept, keep crying out over and over, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Over and over and over. Jesus is saying, your prayer is not to be about babbling long words. It's not about using lots of words, but rather you just approach him simply. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is so good. You approach him quite simply. You tell him what's on your heart. You speak to him honestly. Yes, he already knows, but he wants to hear you get it out of you. To agree with him. God, this is what I'm dealing with. Give me wisdom. Give me grace. Lord, this is, how do I do this? How do I deal with this difficult person? Here's my circumstance. This, this looks hopeless, but God, I know you're the God of hope. So Lord, would you see, there's just this intimacy in which you come before your father who loves to hear you pray and you come with great simplicity okay so as your pastor i want to teach you not only the importance of a quiet time but i want to teach you practically how to do this 
Okay, so I've put these in your notes. Now listen, this is not a formula, but these are some simple ways that can help you in your daily time alone with Jesus. Okay, here they come. Number, number one is this. Have a consistent time and place. Have a consistent time and place. This will help you develop routine. This will help you develop a habit. When you get into this specific place at this specific time, this will help you to focus upon the Lord. Secondly, have a plan. Have a plan. Randomly just opening your Bible, hoping you can find something that just jumps out at you. It's not the best path to go. Have a plan. For me right now, I'm going through the gospel of Matthew, and I'm just going really slow. I'm not rushing it. I'm just taking my time, verse by verse, just devouring it, letting it roll around in my, my mouth like a hard candy. I'm savoring upon the word. You may want to get a Bible reading plan. There's one connected to our Westwood app in which you can read through the Bible in a year. There's a ton of great resources out there. But find a plan and let that be the way you march forward. You see, the aim of private work Worship is to meet with Jesus, not to check a box. It's to meet with Christ. Now, the beauty of checking a box, the beauty of having a routine, is that it does help you stay in the habit of meeting with him. But we must not allow that routine to be what we focus on and not Jesus. Thirdly, begin with prayer. You're praying, God, open my mind, open my heart, open my, my, my eyes to see your law. Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Fourthly, read the word. Open your Bible and read. If you want to hear God speak to you out loud, read your Bible out loud. That's how God speaks primarily today. It's through his word. So take the Bible, open it, and begin to read. You ask questions of the text. I call it five W's and an H. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. I want to discover what's happening around the text. I want to discover rich truths in the word. You get your highlighter out. You get a pen. You underline key words. You make cross-referencing notes. You journal what you are learning. As you write down journals, I'm starting to gather um, a library of journals of times alone with Jesus. And I thought the other day, how cool is this? When the day comes when I take my last breath and I go home to be with Jesus, my kids, they're gonna have a library of rich content of things that Jesus taught me. What a cool thing to leave behind as a parent and as a grandparent. Fifthly, pray the word. You pray it back to the Lord. You thank him for his word. You begin praying the word. You meditate on the text. Sixthly, you apply the word. You apply the word. So can I show you what this looks like for me? So what I typically do is I love mornings. I love early mornings. My wife does not, and my kids somewhat don't. So I'm a kitchen table guy, okay? Um, if I get into a really comfortable chair, I fall asleep. And so I'm a kitchen table, I sit in an uncomfortable chair, I have a glass of water to keep me focused, to help me kind of stay, keep my mind active, and I'll begin with prayer. So I'll get up before anybody's awake, and this is my time alone with Jesus. And I just, I'll pray, Lord, open my eyes, Lord, help me to see your law, and I pray the gospel would be clear. And I'll take time, and I'll, for me right now, I'm in the gospel of Matthew, and I'll go to Matthew, and this week I was reading the Beatitudes and as I was learning about this verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. 
And so I just spent time just marinating on that and focusing on pure in heart. What does that look like? And it, it reminded me of, of Psalm 24. So I went to Psalm 24, where it says, who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Who can go into his presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol. And so I was writing down Psalm 24 and letting that just marinate in my heart. And then it reminded me of Psalm, uh, I think it's verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 18, where it says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so I was praying that, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be, be pure. Lord, I wanna have a pure in heart here because I wanna see you. And so I spent time doing that and I was journaling all that God was teaching me there. And then I have another notebook, it's my prayer notebook and that's when I begin praying for you. I'm praying for our church. I'm praying for specific situations that you're dealing with in your family. I'm praying for health concerns. I'm praying for unreached people groups. I'm praying for Shelby County to come to know Jesus. This is my time in which I begin praying for our staff and for our families and for marriages and for your children. This is, this is how I structure this. And after that, I get up and I start my day and I go get after it. But if I don't start here, the rest of my day is completely off kilter. But can I say to you, your private time alone with the Lord is blood-bought. You see, this is an honor to get to do this. It used to be that only one man, one day a year, could go behind the curtain and meet with God. You and I, we get to do it any day we want to, any time we want to, because of our great high priest. So that being the case, let me give you four quick things to keep in mind. Okay, number one, the first is this, embrace your season of life. When you have a newborn, you don't get to set your schedule. They set your schedule for you, okay? And so your quiet times are gonna look a lot less like this and more like having five minutes on your feet and then you come back to it later in the day, just whenever you can take time. Now, for those who are not in that newborn stage, can I say to you, if you have time to be on your phone, you have time to be in the Word. If you have time to be watching Fox News or CNN or playing on Facebook, you have time to meet with the King of Kings. So you prioritize what you want to do. It's about your heart. But see, secondly, every quiet time does not produce fireworks. As much as I would love to have a Mount Sinai uh, moment, and those moments are special when they happen, but they, they're not regular. They're just not, and it's okay. You see, your growth in the gospel is cumulative. It's not about sprinting really hard for a matter of a couple of weeks. It's a marathon pace for the rest of your life. Abiding in Christ, taking time to meet with him. You take time in which you just meet with Jesus. There aren't gonna be fireworks every time. You're not gonna walk away and say, whoa, my mind is absolutely blown. I've never seen that before. My life has been radically changed. It usually does not happen like that. And by the way, if you go throughout your day and later on you forget what you read earlier that, that day, that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit is gonna help you remember and take those seeds. Here, okay, here's reality. Tell me what you had for dinner seven years ago today. You don't know. You don't remember, but you ate. I don't remember what I read in the Bible seven years ago today, but I read. I was in the Word. 
you're not going to remember everything all the time. But the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and grows you to become more like Christ. So don't expect fireworks every time. Thirdly, turn off distractions. I'm not sure about you, but I've got things chirping at me all day long. Great tools that help me to stay organized and efficient with my time, but these are my enemies when I want to abide in the presence of Jesus. Fourthly, seek consistency, not perfection. Kenneth, what if I miss a few days? Then you go to Jesus and say, Lord, I miss spending time with you. Please forgive me for my times I've neglected you. Can you help me get back on track? And he's the, he's the father of Luke 15 who comes running after his son and says, get in here. Absolutely. Let's move forward together starting here. You see, the impact point is this. We are to daily draw near to God in worship. It used to be just one day. One day every year. But on one day, 2,000 years ago, blood purchased your opportunity to come into the presence of God. You see, because of a blood-stained cross, you get to come into the very presence of God all day Every day, anywhere, anytime, it is yours for the taking. And so now, faith family, yes, we're going to gather weekly. We're going to get in here. We're going to worship. We're going to bring glory to Christ. We're going to worship Christ. We're going to pray to Christ. Yes and amen. But let us also not neglect daily taking time to be alone with Jesus. It is a privilege that is no longer excluded for just one man, one time every year. But it is now open to anybody and everybody who trusts in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ.